I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So once again tonight, we're going to turn this studio into a church. We're going to worship God. We're going to proclaim and hear the word of God. And we're going to ask God's blessing upon this evening. My name is Hal Brady, and I thank you for tuning in. And I pray that you will continue to be with us and share this program with others. Now would you hear, please, the word of God. It comes from Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin reading at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of God for all of us, the people of God. Would you join me please now for a word of prayer. Oh God, we thank you for this opportunity we have of sharing this blessed word of life. We ask, O oh God, that you would bless this message, that you would touch me and touch someone else through me. As always, your will be done, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And it's always in your name. Amen. It's the most popular form of suicide. It disturbs sleep. It makes us uptight. It spoils our health. What is it? If you said worry, you got it right. Worry has been defined as that cycle of ineffective thought and emotion which whirls around a thick center of fear. Another definition of worry is tedious molehill climbing. There was a highly strung woman that said, I stopped worrying and it worries me. Here we are given life 50, 60, 70, sometimes 80, and occasionally 90 years to prepare to live forever. And yet we do not enjoy the time we have. What a tragedy we have. In the midst of all of this, we hear the blessed words of Jesus as it comes to us from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says to us these words, listen carefully. Do not worry about your life. Lord, we say, are you kidding? We're only human, you know, and yet we can be quite sure that Jesus is very serious when he says, do not worry about your life. We tend to forget that that little word, therefore, is included. But that little word is of paramount importance. It's a connecting word. Therefore, he says, do not worry about your life. Here, Jesus is connecting the way we can overcome our worry. He's connecting that up with the way we deal with worldliness. That if we put him above worldliness, we'll be able to overcome our worry. Putting God first is the way to keep worry and anxiety in line. Making God's will and God's will the priority in our lives and trusting Him to help us is the sure way to deal with excessive worry. Some years ago, Leslie Weatherhead told a beautiful story of a man who was ill. The minister came to see the man and he noticed in the room there was an empty chair, an empty chair that was very close to the bed. As a matter of fact, it was touching the bed. And the man said, let me tell you about this chair. He said, a few years ago, I went to my pastor. I was having trouble with my prayer life. I went to my pastor and I said, listen, I don't know how to pray. And his pastor said, don't worry about having highfalutin words. Don't worry about whether you kneel or whatever. He said, just pull up an empty chair. 
And he said, in your imagination, see God there and just talk to him as if you're talking to your best friend. He said, that's what I've done all these years and it's really helped me. A few days later, the man's daughter called the minister and said that her father had passed away peacefully during the night. But she said it was very strange that he died with his hand on the empty chair. Isn't that strange, she said. The pastor said, no, it was not strange at all. He said that man was reaching out for the hand of his very best friend, the one he trusted the most. That's a beautiful story that illustrates some significant things we need to know in our faith. As I said, making God's will a priority in our lives and trusting God to assist us in our lives and to meet our needs is the sure way to deal with excessive worry. Don't worry. Now that's a tall order. What makes worry such a struggle for us? First of all, there's the task of worry. Before we go any further, let's be clear about this. There are some good things about worry. Carl Michelson noted, nothing significant is ever accomplished without worry because worry spurs us to action and promotes conditions favorable to the carrying out of our commitments, thus reaffirming the fact that we're supposed to worry about some things. But honestly, many people get confused about intelligent concern and unfortunate concern. Jesus does not say, take no thought for tomorrow, as one translation suggests. As a matter of fact, Jesus would say the exact opposite of that. He would have us be concerned about tomorrow. In reality, what he said adds up to the opposite of take no thought for tomorrow. Take thought for tomorrow is the very nature of discipleship. I want you to imagine a church, a nation, or an individual life that does not consider the future. What would happen to that nation, that church, or that individual life? Take a marriage, for instance. When I marry people, I always refer them to a parable of Jesus about the builder who was trying to build the house. Jesus said, for which of you desiring to build a house does not first sit down and count the cost as to whether you have enough to complete it. I want married couples to count the cost. And I usually share some of the cost of a good marriage, which is a commitment to permanency, a forsaking of all others, a nurturing of the relationship, an ever maturing love, a sense of forgiveness, and a commitment to God. I want this couple to realize what they're getting into, what the future is going to be about if they're going to succeed in marriage. Jesus was never intending for us not to have sensible, conscientious foresight about the future. His word, take no thought for tomorrow, would better be translated, do not be distracted by tomorrow. Jesus certainly meant that, but he was talking about excessive worry when he said that. Do not be distracted by tomorrow. And so I think that's a decisive difference. Some years ago, I received a very newsy letter from one of my professors and a dear friend. When he finished his letter, this is what he said to me. He said, Hal, before I close, I feel I ought to give you a piece of advice. Maybe you're already doing it and it's not needed. Because you have this large and pivotal church, as well as a regular TV audience. It is so very important that you schedule 20 hours each week in study, lest you become shallow, moralistic, and repetitious. Because of your position as a spokesman of the church, you need to study 
so that you will have a divine message for today's perplexed people. So in signing off, God bless you and your preaching ministry. What a wonderful reminder of sensitive, conscientious foresight about my preaching and the preaching of any would-be preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to not worry about anything. We're supposed to be sensible in our foresight and be conscientious about the future. So hear me now. God doesn't intend we live lives with no concern or worry. For instance, being a good citizen means being concerned for every citizen's good. Being a good parent means being concerned about the multiplicity of issues facing childhood. Being a good churchman means being concerned about the ministries of our church. I remember the late Bishop Ernest Fitzgerald. He was describing an interview that he saw on television. The person being interviewed was a prominent leader in the United States, and he was asked to name the most influential person in his life. He thought a moment, and he identified somebody nobody had ever heard of. He said it was his elementary school teacher. He said she was kind but firm. Every night on their report cards and every night on their homework, she would always have the same thing written. They would open up their homework and there would always be written these words, you can do better than this. You can do better than this. That's the task of worry, is to enable us and to prod us for the right amount of worry, worrying about the right things. If we do that, we'll be people of great concern and care. But if we tend to go excessively worrying, then we're going to do the very thing Jesus was opposed to. That becomes the terror of worry. Excessive worry is what Jesus is dealing with in this passage. In other words, he's concerned that people get bogged down by their worry. One of my favorite Peanuts cartoons, of course, stars Charlie Brown, and he's in the nurse's office at school. And he says, I'm going to meet the nurse in a few minutes. And he wonders, I guess she's going to take my temperature and look down my throat. But then he begins to worry. What if she takes a sample of blood? I hope she doesn't take a sample of blood. What if she weighs me? If she mentions exploratory surgery, I'm going to scream. You see, he was excessively worried about that. You know, we often hear this particular saying that sometimes worry will make you sick. Well, that's a fact. Worry will make you sick. Worry causes tension headaches. It causes skin rashes. It causes nervous breakdowns. It causes heart attacks. And it causes a number of other problems. When we excessively worry, we get uptight. And we lose our sense of being. We simply get frustrated. And we are fearsome. And we are in terrible straits. Like this husband called the doctor one night in the middle of the night. He, he told the doctor he awakened him. He said, listen, I think my wife's labor pains are starting. The doctor says, is this her first child? The man excessively worried said, no, I'm her husband. He was concerned, so concerned that he got excessively worried. And then excessive worry will also destroy our spiritual vitality. It's another form of agnosticism. If we excessively worry, suddenly we begin to not trust God. We don't think God has the ability to help us and meet our needs and the needs of others. In this passage in the sixth chapter, he talked about how God cared for the birds of the air and how God cared for the lilies of the fields. And then he's saying, are you not more important than they? Are you not of more value than they? God is certainly concerned about humankind. God knows and God is concerned 
about every last one of us. I want us to do a little thinking about this worry for a minute. So consider the fact we worry about things that don't really make a difference. Did you hear that? Consider the fact we worry about things that don't really make a difference. I've been reading some of the books of Anne Lamott. Anne Lamott described in one book that she was 50 at the time, but she said she'd learned a couple of things since she was 30. She said she had learned one thing. Now listen to me. She said she had learned that our back ends, my words, and our skin are simply 127th on the list of things that matter in the earth. Secondly, she learned that she's not going to live down here forever. And she said these two things set her free. What she's saying is that we tend to worry about all these things, all these myriad of other things, when we should just be thinking about God and God's ability to meet our needs. So consider the fact we worry about things that don't matter. Secondly, consider the fact we worry about things that have already happened. We worry about things that have already happened. Soren Kierkegaard, he has written that anxiety or worry is the next day. Certainly the future has a way of causing us to worry, but the past still has a great hold on us. What is so futile about this worrying about yesterday? There's nothing we can do about it. Absolutely nothing we can do about it. It's so futile. Even if we made a mistake and would like to correct it, we can't. So it's futile to worry about yesterday. Somebody said it's wonderful to have a good memory, but it's even better to have a good forgetter, a good forgetter. Thirdly, consider the fact we worry about things that haven't happened and probably won't. Somebody said, I've had a lot of troubles in my life, most of which never happened. You know, beloved, we live in a world of a million what ifs. What ifs. Here we are at a ball game. We're watching our favorite team play. It's a tight game. Everybody's tense. And suddenly our friend turns to us and says, what if they fumble? It's hard enough and frustrating enough to go to a ball game. It's even more frustrating to have a worry watch sit beside us. But that's the way a lot of people are. What if? What if I lose the job? What if I don't get the job? What if she says no? What if he doesn't call? What if? What if? What if? You know, some of these things may happen to us, but they're not nearly as bad as we imagine they will be. So we live in a million what ifs, and we need to get away from that world. And then here's the other thing. Consider the fact we worry about the inevitable. If it's inevitable, why worry about it? Do you know there's an office in the Internal Revenue Service that has two signs over the door? The one as you go in says, watch your step. The second sign says, when you come out, watch your language. If it's inevitable, why worry about it? The basic mark of maturity is we learn how to accept the inevitable. We learn how to know what we can change and what we cannot. So it's excessive worry that Jesus is concerned about here. When he says, do not worry about your life. And then... I want to talk about for a minute the treatment of worry. The treatment of worry. You know, there is a sort of treatment of worry. I want you to recall our definition of worry. Worry is a sense of prolonged uneasiness that re revolves around a sense of fear. So how do we deal with our worries? Jesus helps us when he says this. Listen to his word. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow. So let me give you a few examples of this thing I call the treatment of worry. First of all, we can overcome our limitations by owning them. We can own our limitations. This means getting our thinking straight. It means resigning immediately from the CEO of the universe, effective immediately. We don't need to be trying to carry the burdens of the whole world besides their bigger hands than ours. I've just come back from the South Georgia Annual Conference meeting, and we always have a time when retiring ministers share whatever they want to say in two minutes to the conference delegates. Well, one fellow came up this time, and he smiled and grinned, and he said, I've been in this conference for 30 years, and I've never been asked to say anything, so I'm not going to say anything now. Of course, he brought down the house with what he said. But then I got to thinking, that man knows what the Scripture says, that your heavenly Father knows. Your heavenly Father knows, and he knows about his ministry as well. And then secondly, we can get our priorities straight. We can get our priorities straight. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. What Jesus is telling us is, get a purpose that's important. It's worth investing your whole life in. Do something significant and important. And I think this was borne out in a poll I saw not long ago with 95-year-olds and older. They were asked what they would do if they could live life again. They said they would reflect more, they would risk more, and they would do more things that would outlive them. You see what they're saying? They're getting their priorities straight. And then, thirdly, we can live one day at a time. I'll never forget the first time I went dove hunting. I went with my uncle. He took me and some other friends. Well, they put me in a ditch way away from everybody else. I had a shotgun and a box of shells. And before I knew it, the sky was full of dove. I didn't know any better. I thought, how can I miss? So I just started shooting. I didn't aim at anything, thinking they would just drop. Well, no dove ever fell. But finally it dawned on me if when one little dove would fly across, I would aim at that dove and, and get that dove. Now what I learned out of that is, is aim. Aim for what you want. Don't get caught up in the covey. As long as I was caught up in the covey and not in the individual, I had a big problem. That's the way it is with our days. So many of us are worrying about all these things that could happen these days ahead and behind and all of that, when all we need to do is focus on this one day at a time. Another thing is count your blessings instead of your concerns. What does the song say? Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And the last thing I want to mention that we can do is we can trust God and act on our faith. Years ago, a man knocked at the door of my parsonage. When I opened the door, he came in. He was a parishioner. He was standing there, I thought, sort of trying to figure out what to say. And this is what he said. He said, I want to thank you for everything you've done. I'm moving this week. Well, I couldn't think of a thing I'd done for him. I really couldn't. And so finally I just said, well, you know, you're going to have to refresh my memory. I can't think of anything I've really done for you. And this is what he said. He said, you were always there if I needed you. I knew that if I knocked on your door, you would open it for me. In a real way, this is what Jesus is telling us about the fatherhood of God. He's saying that God is always there, 
always providing, always sustaining, always concerned, always caring. Don't worry. It's a tall order. But our Christ is of a much taller order, and He can handle all of this because He loves us each and every one. Jesus said, Therefore, do not worry about your life. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You that You take our worries and other concerns away. We know You want us to be concerned about some things, and we are. Primarily about how we can live this life You call us to live. But Lord, we don't want to mess it up by being concerned about so many other things over which we have no control or little control. So we pray, O oh God, that you administer to us what we need and grant us the peace and strength that you want us to have. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you again for joining me for this broadcast, and I trust you'll be with us and tell your friends about next week. Good night. With you, and as I Child.